Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Borg Warner. Feel good about driving. Bridgestone, your journey, our passion. And by Dow Automotive Systems, improving durability and increasing design flexibility with Betamate structural adhesives at DowBetamate.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new week of AutoLine Daily. Well, I got to tell you, we are already seeing an impact from Mary Barra being promoted to CEO of General Motors, and maybe not in a way that anyone expected. Women now have much higher expectations about their role in the automotive industry, and they want their concerns addressed immediately. On Friday, Ford's COO, Mark Fields, spoke at an event held by Inforum, a professional organization that represents women in business. Mark Fields gave a good presentation on what's going on at Ford, but despite the fact there were over 1,000 women in the audience, he never mentioned anything about the struggle women face in advancing their careers in business or at Ford in particular. A survey by Inforum shows that only 5% of Ford's top executives are women, compared to 25% of General Motors. Later, in answering a question from the audience, Field did address the issue, but a lot of the women in the audience were dissatisfied with his answer and with the fact that he had avoided the issue. I know this because I later got an earful from a couple of those women who were there. Something changed ever since the Barra announcement, and the auto industry better wake up to the fact that women are going to play an increasingly vocal role in demanding what they see as their fair share of the executive suites. And don't think that GM is off the hook just because it made Mary CEO. She is going to make less money than the man she replaces. She'll earn about $4.4 million in salary and incentives, but her predecessor, Dan Ackerson, made over $11 million. In fact, Ackerson, who will now become a senior advisor to the company, will make more money than she does. And while GM probably has very good reasons why it worked out this way, it better brace itself for the backlash because the optics on this are horrible. Okay, now we head over to Europe where Peugeot has approved a deal to get a cash infusion from Chinese automaker Deng Feng and from the French government. Each of them would kick in half a billion euros and each would take a 10% share in the company. While the deal is being hailed as a good move by the European analyst community, here's my Autoline insight. The French government prevented Peugeot from taking the steps it needed to address the root cause of its problems. Too much manufacturing capacity. PSA needs to close plants and lay off workers. But since it could not do that, it now has the French government and a Chinese automaker taking partial control of the company. Here's my prediction. This is not going to end well. Unless or until they fix the overcapacity problem, PSA will never be a competitive car company. Automakers have been putting low rolling resistance tires on vehicles for years to help lower fuel consumption. But do they really help? According to a new study from the University of Michigan, the answer is yes. It tested 63 different types of tires on light-duty vehicles and found that low-rolling resistance tires use about 505 gallons of fuel annually, while high-rolling resistance ones consume about 547 gallons. At that rate, a motorist in the U.S. would save, on average, 
about $147 in fuel per year, which over the lifetime of a vehicle would be some pretty significant savings. But this does not take into account that low rolling resistance tires cost more than their higher rolling counterparts. You know, getting a car ready for a crash test takes a lot more work than you might imagine. Coming up next, a peek into how the IIHS prepares for a crash test. Proven on the track and on roads around the world, Borg Warner turbochargers improve fuel economy and reduce emissions without sacrificing performance. Borg Warner, official turbocharger supplier to the IZOD IndyCar Series. I'm sure all of you have seen videos of crash tests, but you might be surprised just how much work goes into those tests. For a look at that process, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety put together this video on how it prepares for a crash test. My name is Andrew Brethwaite, and I'm a research engineer and test coordinator at the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. The role of the test coordinator begins when the vehicle first arrives at the VRC. After checking the vehicle in, the test coordinator oversees the entire test preparation process. One of the first test preparation steps is to correctly position the vehicle seats. We follow a standardized protocol and use a device that represents a human occupant to determine exactly where the dummy should sit. Next, we take measurements of the vehicle structure so that we can measure intrusion after the crash. After that, the vehicle is turned over to the vehicle prep team, who get the rest of the car ready for the test. Every vehicle that comes into the Institute is assigned a crash test number and a book. This book is our little Bible. It's our checkoff sheets. For everything we do to this vehicle, we need to initial it and date it. This book follows the vehicle all the way through the process, right till post-crash. I'm just going to do a very quick inspection underneath the vehicle just to make sure that there's no previous damage. I'm draining all the fluids out of the vehicle. That way we don't make a mess right after the crash. Now that we've drained the fuel from this vehicle, we're going to go ahead and replace that with a solvent that we've dyed purple. It weighs the same as gasoline, but it has a higher flash point. Just waiting for the gas to come out. There we go. Purple. We're good. Now we have all the gas out. Purple is in the lines, so if there's any leaks, we'll be able to detect them. We're putting the rack in the vehicle right now. We're getting ready to install all this instrumentation here. It has to be bolted to the heaviest part of the vehicle through the floor so that it doesn't pull loose, doesn't bend. Right now we're installing all the boxes and power supplies to run all the equipment that we're going to be attaching to the vehicle. The majority of our onboard equipment is mounted in the trunk of the vehicle. This includes power for our onboard camera systems, power for data acquisition, and also our onboard braking unit. So I've cut the brake lines and I'm going to be putting some fittings on these lines and a hose which will run from these lines to the back. The red box I'm going to attach these to actually fires nitrogen into the rear brakes and that's what's going to stop the car if we should need it. Here are the onboard digital cameras that we're going to be mounting on the door. We need to remove this door panel so we can tie into some stiff structure. Now the front cameras and lights are installed, we're going to move into the rear of the vehicle where we're going to install the rear cameras. So I'm going to measure this and make sure that it's in the exact same spot so the shot looks the same from vehicle to vehicle. We just bolted the uh, chains on. I welded some hooks onto the subframe on either side. This chain is actually what's going to hook to a skate in the floor, and that's going to pull the car down the runway. Right now what you're seeing taking place is striping the center of the vehicle. And we'll be using these marks in order to align the vehicle on the crash machine before it's tied down. 
The reason we put targets on the vehicle here is so that we can actually measure the reaction of the dummy and the vehicle itself. We have marks on the side, on the roof. What we can see then is how much the dummy moves from one point to another, how much the steering wheel may move. We can use this for various measurements when we analyze what happens after the crash. We're getting ready now to do the final step in vehicle prep, and that's the weighing of the vehicle. We have all our instrumentation in place, and we've added weight to simulate the dummy being in position. This takes just a few minutes, but it's one of the most important things we do. This weight is put into the crash machine and is part of the equation for making sure our speed is right on the money. After the vehicle is fully prepped, it's moved to the crash hall. The purpose of wheeling the car out into the crash hall before the test is twofold. One, so that we can line the vehicle up at point of impact, and also so that we can frame and focus both our onboard and offboard slow motion cameras. The dummy is also placed in the vehicle in the crash hall before it's pushed down the runway where it will sit overnight in a temperature controlled shed. 418. 418. In the morning, we proceed with our final preparation before testing, which includes tying the vehicle down to the crash machine, seating the dummy, and applying grease paint so we can determine contact points, and making any last minute adjustments to our onboard instrumentation. Main battery voltage 12.8. After everything has been completed and checked, we exit the shed and the test is initiated from the control tower in the crash hall. Charging is now complete. The test will commence in four seconds. Three, two, one, wonder way. And that wraps up today's report. Thanks for watching and please join us again right here tomorrow.